0: Hour number 2 of the People's Show in the Mobile Tech Studio here at Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium. This hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D L E A M C dot com let's welcome in our next guest it's dan richo and josh elliott wolf we welcome to the conversation dave pinota of the fourth period what's happening dave
1: how we doing boys how's it going it's 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 like 40 something degrees here in toronto
0: it's a little warm uh well we don't get that necessarily in vancouver it's just like perfect 25 not a cloud in the sky slight little breeze Mountains in the background. I'm a little cold, I would say. Ocean. Yeah, it's decent. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. Okay, we got um, smog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got sweat three seconds after you leave the house. I get it, yeah.
1: Uh, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. Bring a change of clothes, underwear, everything.
0: Yeah, so you're going with the uh, iced espresso rather than anything else uh, today. I get it. it's It makes sense. Uh, all right. right. So uh, we're, we're clinging to any little uh, bit of hockey information or news we get through the course of the summer. And, you know, yeah. the Vladimir Tarasenko one is, is interesting. You know, he signs in Ottawa. You know, we had heard that they were rumored when he was – well, when we were closer to July 1st before he had the whole falling out with his – then agent uh, what, what was your read of the situation and how this this all played out with tarasenko
1: well uh, you know he was looking for something in the five million dollar range uh, which he ultimately got with ottawa and the Sens were one of the teams in there from the get-go um but, but uh there there was an agreement in place with carolina through his agent for a year around three million bucks and um they thought it was ready to go they had a press release and everything all ready to, to put out, and he said no, um, and and that kind of led to the falling out. He switches agents, goes to CAA with Patrizon, JP Barry, Reppingham, um, and ultimately gets the dollar figure that he was looking for um, in a different environment. Although there was interest, as I said, from the Sens from day one, he was interested as well. Um, didn't want to wait too long. There were other teams that there were a ton of teams, quite frankly, that had interest in Tarasenko. I, spack, uh, I spoke, with, excuse me, with Patrizon. A little over a week ago, and he said that it was, you know, the, the interest was almost overwhelming, and they had to try to narrow things down. Um, but the cap situation for a lot of teams, for most clubs, prevented them from doing anything without having to make another type of move. Ottawa had the cap space; they were capable of doing it, able to do it. They feel that they can push themselves for a wild card spot in the East, um, and Tarasenko is going to be part of their top six. Not only do, does it is it a fit monetarily but also um, it's a fit in terms of where he can play and how he can maximize his opportunity to get the most ice time both, both at, you know five-on-five five and on the man advantage.
2: Is it odd at all that he only got a one-year deal, or is that just the nature of the winger market and, and the lack of cap space around the league right now?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, with the cap only going up or having only gone up a million bucks, um, a lot of players, and there's still a lot of names that are still out there trying to find homes. Um, but teams have to free up that cap space, and a lot of clubs are, are you know, saying, "Look, we can give you the one year. Um, we'd like to sign you for more, but we understand that this time next year, with the cap going up four, five, six million, there's going to be more opportunities uh, for some players. So, you know, for Tarasenko and for guys like him, you bank on yourself, you bet on yourself, and and um, you know, hope to get a more a uh, lucrative long-term deal by this time next year
0: for Ottawa. Now, you know, I guess they uh, they they view Tarasenko as kind of a Debrinkat, uh sort of replacement, at least. You know, after that situation played out, yeah. do we see them uh, finally uh, making that push in the Atlantic Division, like they've been uh, they've been looking for for the last couple of years?
1: Well, I mean, you know, that they certainly hope so. With you know, adding Chikrin last. Um, last season before the trade deadline. You sign Corpus Salo as your, uh, you know, your number one for for this coming season. You sign him to a, a, a multi-year long-term deal. You have Anton Forsberg that you're high on um, as, as your, I guess, backup for now or 1B, however you want to, you know, piece things together. Um, and then you look at the club and you go, okay, well, you have three solid lines. Um, you know, your top six provide... You know, certainly the offense, and you, you could throw Tarasenko out there with, you know, it could be Kachuk or Stutzla, or, or you want to put him on with Josh Norris and move Bathurston up. You have that. You have Giroux that kind of rounds out your top six. And then you've got a pretty decent um, uh, third line that that can create some offense and also be responsible with Pinto, Kubelik, and presumably Joseph. You added some physicality with McEwen. Um, this is a team that provided itself uh, with with some I guess, tinkering in the lineup a little bit, but also some key ads. Now, granted, yeah, you lose to Brinkett, and, and that's a big that's a big loss from an offensive perspective, but you hope Tarasenko gets into that 30 club again on the goal side of things, and your depth can come through. And if you do have a sound decor with better goaltending, it should offset things. They certainly believe that they can compete for a wild-card position. Um, we'll obviously see how, how things play out, but that's that's their mindset right now.
2: When it comes to the wild-card and, and the Atlantic, um the Bruins, so they no longer have Patrice Bergeron retired. Do you think yeah. they they have anything planned to address their center depth? Like, are, are they going to go into the season with Pavel Zaka as their as their one C?
1: Um, if they want to compete, then I hope for their sake. No, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, with all due yeah. respect to Zaka and, and Coyle, um, they they've got they have holes up the middle. I mean, they they kicked the time and they were waiting. Like they came out and said, and Cam Neely, the president, came out and said that uh, at the start of the offseason, they're, they're moving forward with the mindset that both Bergeron and Krejci are, are done. Now, Bergeron makes it official. They're still waiting on, on Krejci's situation to play out. But they started exploring options. They couldn't really act on anything until they knew a definitive answer from one or both. Um, but they were kicking the tires on Mark Scheifele. Uh, there have been some communication with Jonathan Taves and his camp. Um, You know, he wants to see how his health holds up over the summer, make a decision likely closer to camp before, you know, going one way or another. Or he may even hold off and say, well, I I still need a little bit of time here before I make a decision. Um, But the Bruins were a team that inquired about Taves during the season before he shut his season down uh, because of his health status. Uh, But they were in it. And my understanding was he was those were one of the that was one of the teams, excuse me, that he was willing to explore going to. Um, So I think there's interest on both sides from a Taves and Bruins perspective, but um, beyond that, and again, we won't likely get any type of answers there until closer to the season and closer to camp anyway. Uh, But outside of that, the Bruins, yeah, they've got to look around. They've got to see what's out there. And and Mark Shifley is a guy, as I mentioned, that they poked around on. I imagine that's going to continue to some extent. They've got some depth on the blue line. Um, that they could potentially make something fit here, whether it's a Brandon Carlo. His name was out there for a while around draft time. Matt Grislick as well. Um, Carlo's got, I think, two years left. Grislick's in his final year. Uh, so there is some, there could be some creative ways in pulling this off. Uh, it, it's it's going to come down to when these teams start to get back to um, heavy conversations, and I don't think they're there just yet.
0: Would Would Elias Lindholm be a target for the Bruins?
1: I would, I would think so, but again, Cal, like even Backlund, um, right? Out of, right, out of Calgary, you know, both of those guys, and, and certainly the price tag would be different. Um, Backlund a lot less than Lindholm, uh, but you know, for, for a player in particular, and, and Scheifele kind of falls into the same mix because uh, he's in the final year of his deal as well, but with Lindholm, um, I've got to imagine that the Bruins will want to have some type of idea as to what type of contract these guys would be looking for long term. Um, and, and if they can make something work, then it affects the overall price.
2: Yeah. And the, the price is what I was going to ask about is cause they, the Bruins don't really, they don't really have a lot of prospects. They, they still have some of their picks, but they're missing, uh, quite a few in the, or in the upcoming draft. Like wh- what do they yeah. have to trade for guys like this?
1: Well, it, you know, it's, it, it's likely, and, and depending on the environment, like I think with Winnipeg, because they have different pieces out there, um, you know, you might have a little bit more flexibility in shoring up your back end versus trying to trade a center for a center, and that's why you know, in certain circumstances, over the course of the early part of the summer, we heard Brandon Carlo's name. He has four years left. Excuse me, I think I mentioned two before, but he's got four years left on his deal at 4.1 uh, million. He's got a limited no trade um, with I think a, a 10 team list uh, or no trade list. Excuse me. Um, so there is some some protection there from his end but he's a name that was out there um, as a player that the Bruins were willing to dangle to not only free up money, but also address the center position if they needed to. I suspect that that would be a potential centerpiece to a deal, or at least a key component to it, because you're likely looking at, in both scenarios, both Calgary and Winnipeg, involving either Lindholm or Scheifele, they're going to be hockey-type deals. You're not going to be moving these guys out for futures, not as the primary pieces going back anyway. So, you're likely looking at addressing another hole on your back end, and if you're Calgary, uh, for example, with Carlo at four years left on his deal at a 4.1 million dollar hit, and with guys like Tanev, and Hannifin, and Zadorov, all uh, in the final year of their deals, and at least two of them, Zadorov and Hannifin, have made it known that they're not interested in signing an extension. Um, that might be there, there might be a fit there to make something work. Now, granted it would certainly take more than Carlo to pull that off. Um, But you're likely looking at hockey type deals for those caliber players uh, from both Calgary and Winnipeg's perspective, which is a little bit fortuitous for Boston because they've got that piece on the back end and they can add to that.
0: Yeah. There's just uh, there's no appetite in Calgary or Winnipeg for uh, any sort of rebuild type conversations as, as we know. Um, Tony D'Angelo signs with uh, Carolina. Uh, it, does that take them out of the Eric Carlson trade discussions?
1: No, um, because when the they were working on the trade to acquire him, um, they were still working on Eric Carlson. That hasn't changed. Um, the, the The sticking point is, well, one of them, um, is what to do with Brett Pesci. And if you're moving out Pesci, that's where you, you're slotting in effectively Carlson um, he won't go to San Jose um, as, as part of the deal uh, he'll be flipped somewhere else or it's going to be a separate type of move that makes something later happen now there were all a talk with Nashville in the start of July and that kind of trickled out throughout the first couple of weeks of this month um, and then things kind of kind of died down across the board but Nashville and, and Carolina had been in discussions involving Brett Pesci to go to um, to go to Nashville with the potential of an extension there, and then you piece together some different assets. Now, I know San Jose expressed interest in in Dante Fabro during the season. That didn't um, obviously happen, but there is interest from that side of things. So if you're trying to piece things together and try to connect some dots, if you move Pesci out, you bring in Fabro and another asset, and you flip at least Fabro with your package for uh, Carlson, that's something that's being discussed or had at least been discussed Um, earlier this month but it's not just a matter of making the money work for eric carlson and how much san jose is going to retain which is likely three million range three and a half maybe four you've got to also pay up for the asset and it's you get a player if like i don't think a lot of people will expect carlson to hit 100 points again this coming season but is he a point of game player and if he is and if you believe he is and i think he is uh, then you've got to pay up for a let's say eight and a half million dollar guy on your back end that's going to put up 80 plus points. They don't is, come around very often. You've got to pay for that.
2: Is Pittsburgh still maybe a front runner in that conversation though? Just because it feels like after the, the addition of D'Angelo, even though like Carolina's still interested, I just don't know if the the fit is really there. And it's the, the same conversation in Pittsburgh, but I just wonder if uh, Kyle Dubas maybe wants to make a make a big splash.
1: I still believe that Carolina and Pittsburgh are right there uh, in terms of the top two teams. I know Carlson had that interview um, this past week or last week, whatever it was um, in, in Sweden and acknowledging, and he's very clever because he didn't give us any new information. He just acknowledged the info that was already out there um, and saying that, yeah, I spoke to Carolina, I spoke to Pittsburgh, Seattle, Toronto, and then he kind of just hit the brakes and said, yeah, there are a few other teams um, and, and there were uh, some other teams kind of lurking in the weeds, but um you know, Pittsburgh will need to move out either Marcus Fedderson or Jeff Petrie in order to make something happen here. And um, it, it complicates matters because I think at the beginning of the month, Fedderson was part of the discussions going back to San Jose. And then there was some talk that, nope, they're going to try a different route by moving Petrie out elsewhere. And obviously that hasn't happened. And, and I mean, it, it just another layer of. Uh, uh, of complications to this entire situation. I still think those are the two clubs that are there. I I don't know, um, you know, Toronto's got enough to worry about with William Nylander uh, more than Austin Matthews, because I think there's an understanding of what his next deal will be. Um, But the Leafs got to figure that out. They still have to figure out their cap situation a little bit, even with Matt Murray going on LTIR. Um, So it would be very complicated, I think for Toronto to try to pull something off here. Seattle has me curious. Um, more than anything, because they've got a lot of flexibility, they've got some solid assets, and they're there from the get-go, and it's a place he would be willing to go to. So um, we'll keep monitoring this, certainly, but it sounds like it's, you know, we're in the middle of the summer portion where mm, guys like to hit up the cottage or, or the lake house or something like that and have a few adult beverages before getting back on the phones.
0: Uh, they're, they're, they're cabins in Kelowna uh, is, is what, what, what we call them here.
1: Oh, that's what it, okay, sorry. Yeah, it's My cabins apologies. on
0: the West Coast, cottages in, uh, in Muskoka. cottages on the, out here. Yeah. Okay. And
1: yeah, <laughs> just breathe in all that smog up here. It's, <laughs>
0: <travel>. <laughs> it's generally, uh, it's generally how it goes. You, you mentioned the Leafs not to make everything about Toronto, but I mean, I look at their cap situation and what, like they're what, 12 million over the cap. Aren't they over the, the 10% that's allowed in, in the national Are hockey you... league, even in the off season?
1: Yeah. So yeah. So it's a 10 percent threshold, um, but based on some of the like, they have a flexibility. I think they're right there because I believe uh, in terms of sending guys down that don't right. have a waiver exempt. So technically, with Nyes and, and I think Holmgren, I think they just hit right under um, where it's they're going to be. Now you can also utilize LTI space in the off season. It's calculated a little bit differently, and I'm not smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> um, but it's, it's different than full season LTIR. Uh, it, it, but also, when you utilize LTI space in the summer, it very much limits and hinders your ability to then maximize your LTIR space during the season. And if you have a headache hearing that, believe me, I, it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, and that's why a lot of teams try to avoid that uh that that type of situation i think they're right there i believe they're right there and they have the space but um it, giving that 10 percent off season uh bump for all teams to go over the cap it, it certainly has made things a little bit more possible for toronto and they're very lucky that neither nylander nor matthews um need new deals for this coming season they're locked in so they can worry about those cap problems next summer
0: so i know um Matt Dumba you know his reputation has maybe taken a little bit of a hit the last couple of years I'm still shocked that it's July 28th and Matt Dumba is without a team what's going on here
1: a a casualty of a cap situation Now, I believe there are two or three teams that think that they can make it happen but they have to make another move in order for that to to go through now there there have been some discussions of a one-year possibility I've heard others would term like four or five years. Um, But it sounds like more so than anything, it's just a matter of those teams finding the cap space in order to make it happen. And he's just sitting back and and unfortunately for him has to wait. It sounds like, I mean, it's going to be not much of an issue. He'll find a home and he knows what his options are. It's at this point, just a matter of those teams trying to create the cap space in order to make it happen. Now, Again, a lot of teams, yes, there's that 10% cushion we just talked about. A lot of teams don't feel overly comfortable in getting to that threshold because then it hinders their ability to make quality moves closer to the season because nobody's going to help out a team that's struggling just for the sake of doing it. So teams prefer to wait before they get into cap hell and nobody's there to bail them out and then they got to overpay to compensate a team for taking on a contract, which – clubs nowadays they prefer not to do so unfortunately for him um he's just got to wait things out until teams are able to slide some money elsewhere
0: uh pags we always appreciate the time maybe have an affogato i don't know what you got to do to cool down but uh do it
1: (laughs) yeah i'm just gonna now the ice bucket challenge wouldn't be a bad thing but uh let's not bring that back actually never mind
0: yeah never mind uh (laughs) thanks for this Pags. see you boys uh there he is uh, dave pinot a friend of the show From the fourth period joining us here on the people's show some good info there and look uh it's the story of the nhl offseason everything being held up by a lack of cap space around the national hockey league and you know everything about being a uh, general manager in the nhl and trying to acquire a piece of significance right now feels like the dennis rodman meme from the Last Dance, yeah, where you're like, moving. if I want to do this, I got to do this, and I got to go there and get that, and then I got to yeah. move that over there, and then we move that back here. It's just like, man, it is madness, and even something as simple as trying to sign Matt Dumba. like I get it. He, he hasn't, you know, he's not, uh, people thought of him as a top pair guy or, you know, a guy that... Uh, you know, was playing lower down the line, or was playing like a, a second pair guy in Minnesota. He was at
2: least like a top for, top four defenseman.
0: And could, you know, maybe move up the lineup, but, you know, they had Spurgeon and all these other guys. And now he's just without a job. I mean, it could be something where it's mostly contenders that are interested, and they just don't have the cap space. But even a team like Vancouver, like, if you just ask me straight up, could the Canucks use a player like Matt Dumba? 100% they could, but... You know, they they would have to move Connor Garland. They'd have to move some other pieces in order to, to make it even somewhat plausible to add a Matt Dumba to their roster.
2: And it's just impossible to move a winger right now. Yes. That, that's kind of the main thing. Is like all these teams that would want a Matt Dumba probably want to move a winger out to try to make that work. And I do
0: wonder about the Canucks, like the, the the speculation around trying to move Tyler Myers earlier – the only way they were going to do that or the only reason they would entertain those types of discussions was because they had something else that they were trying to add to their roster. So
2: Dumba seems like, especially because here he would be playing, he'd probably be playing with Quinn Hughes. Yeah. So it's as much as, yes, you're playing top pair minutes. That's a pretty cushy spot to be in if you're playing top pair minutes.
0: So that's something uh, I, I kind of wonder about sometimes, but, um, to get any intel on uh, Dumba and interest from the Canucks. I haven't heard anything of that sort, so it's more speculation on my part. Um, It's just strange that a player like that is still out there and available. Now, Tereschenko signs with the Ottawa Senators. The Boston Bruins are looked at as the team that could take a step back as of right now. Maybe you could say that about the Tampa Bay Lightning or even the Maple Leafs who look like have taken a bit of a hit in terms of talent this year with some of the cap constraints that they're under. Which Atlantic team would be most likely to take a step? Is it Buffalo? Is it Detroit? Is it Ottawa? Which one of the three? I
2: would. uh, Buffalo feels like the option just because not only out of those three did they finish the highest last year
0: they can't defend to save their lives
2: no but (laughs) but I I don't really trust like Ottawa's defense is fine I guess yeah Um, but I I don't really trust it's it's hard to have a good feel
0: yeah it's hard to have a good feel about where Chikrin's impact is ultimately going to be it's similar to Heronic right Um, and we saw a few games Ottawa saw some games with Jacob Chikrin, mostly pretty positive, but I still have some questions there with the Ottawa Senators. I think they have the most well-rounded team. They're the team that's you know spent most of their future assets in order to round out their roster. Now they don't have a ton of prospects left to come up, mm-hmm. right? You you can safely assume assume like uh, Ridley Gregg is going to make the jump this year to a full-time sort of situation and those are all things that lead me to believe ottawa is the most equipped to make a push in the atlantic division the other one could be detroit
2: and they're just weird
0: they are weird but if you look at the way that they set their team up this offseason you know they spent a lot of time in free agency adding pieces around the roster to fill out uh, fringe roles and Mm -hmm. I think you know most people would say that's probably a better way of going through free agency they made the big splash with Comfer and then the other one is DeBrinkat. so they seem to have at least more depth on their roster now but I'm still curious about their high end like is DeBrinkat going to go back to the player he was in Chicago and what happens on D beyond what they have with Jake Wallman and, uh, you know, Marit Sider, of course.
2: Yeah, and, and like, Justin Hall is going to be your second pair of defensemen. I, I just don't trust what's going on in Detroit right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just – it's uh, I feel like they're also missing another big piece. And I know Lucas Raymond has shown a lot of potential. Dylan Larkin is obviously great but I just feel like they need someone more than to cat before I'm fully in on them being a playoff team. And, and, like, you can maybe say the same about the Buffalo Sabres, but I just feel like they have more depth in their lineup, uh, especially on the back end. Like, I trust Matias Samuelson, Rasmus Dahlien, and Owen Power, I think, is going to take a step over what Detroit has on their back end.
0: It is uh, Dan Riccio and Josh Elliott-Wolf. You are uh, listening to The People's Show, and we are live on location, Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium. The Seas are about to take on Everett today. Uh, A lot of the staffers are getting into the stadium to our right over here, and I smell the ballpark popcorn. Oh, yeah. And it is glorious. It's been
2: a brewing for like (laughs) an hour, and it's just, I'm so Oh, my
0: God. Popcorn has never smelled so good in my entire life. Yeah. It is wonderful. Uh, Now I'm hungry. It's Dan Riccio, Josh Elliott-Wolf. You're listening to The People Show. It's the People's Show, Dan Riccio and Josh Elliott-Wolf here in the mobile Kintec studio. We are live on location, Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium. It's the Canadians against Everett this afternoon. First pitch, nooner at the Nat, just after 1 o'clock. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec Net. We welcome in our next guest, Josh Goldberg, DFA pod and the score MLB. Thanks for this, Josh. How are you?
3: Good boys. How you doing?
0: Uh, we're doing fantastic. Um, big series coming up for the Blue Jays against the Angels with the uh, Red Hot Angels kind of getting themselves back into the wild card picture. They trade for Lucas Giolito and now they're trying to track down the Blue Jays for that final wild card spot in the AL. It's uh, Kind of sneaky big all of a sudden between the Blue Jays and Angels this weekend. Yeah, it really
3: is. And um, uh, you think back to last year when the Angels were bad, they swept the Jays around the same time, uh, like July, August, in three games uh, at Rogers Center. So, you know, like they're, I don't think they're a particularly great team. The deficiencies on the roster are masked by the brilliance of of one player, and it, it speaks to how good he he has been and how good he is the moves that they made uh picking up giolito and and lopez i thought was that was a good trade they gave up two of their top three prospects for a pair of rentals which i think really highlights um how important it is for them to make the playoffs and try and do everything they can to keep otani the odds are still really slim you know we don't know when mike trout is going to be back They have to leapfrog a handful of teams um, to get to the Blue Jays. But, yeah, this is a big series. The the Jays really have to find a way to uh, take care of business at home because they haven't been great uh, after a good start to the season on home field. They've kind of leveled off. And winning two out of three here with Baltimore coming in for four and then three games at Fenway Park next weekend would be a really good start to what is uh, a really crucial next week and a half.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, how in terms of the division race, how crucial is that that four game set against Baltimore?
3: Very important. No, like I, I think beyond just wanting to give yourself more of a chance at chasing them down for the division, uh, you just have to put up some positive performances against a team like that. Against a team like the Red Sox, who are zero and seven against, I think they have one win in five or six games against the Orioles. It's well documented. They're seven and twenty against teams in the American League East, and they're really good against everybody else. And they're not going to make the playoffs if they don't improve in that regard, because they still have a bunch of games left against teams in the division. The final two weeks of the season is just alternating home and road series with Tampa Bay and the Yankees. So, uh, like they've done a decent job, kind of staying afloat despite those deficiencies uh, within the division, but. It's time to start kind of sending a message that you're a, a team to be taken seriously because it's hard to really look at this club as uh, a real, true, legit contender if they're going to not be able to have any success against other quality teams uh, within their division.
0: Well, isn't the best way to do that by making some kind of a splash ahead of the deadline? Like, what do you what do you see Ross Atkins doing here in the next few days? It's really
3: interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised if they go off the radar and make a deal that nobody is expecting. Like, look what happened last year with with Merrifield. Nobody saw that trade coming. You know, there was obviously the uncertainty with the vaccination status. I think that uh, threw another layer into it. But he's ended up being a really positive uh, contributor basically since they got him. He's been really good. And he came with an additional year of team control. This has never really been a front office that has paid large premiums for rentals. Like If they're going to improve the bullpen, it's probably going to be a rental reliever. If they're going to improve the depth of the starting rotation, it's maybe more likely to be a rental because that's not necessarily going to displace anyone that's already here. But if they're looking more along the lines of making an impact In the position player group or an impact in the bullpen or the rotation for this year and beyond that could be something that we're not necessarily expecting uh that that could end up happening uh like they're not as thin in the farm system i think as everyone looks at they're definitely not as deep as they have been in the past but if they want to make legitimate deals whether it's for controllable talent or rentals they still have enough in the cupboard, that they won't be that prohibited from doing any of the things that uh, they view as necessary to improving the team.
2: Is there a player you had in mind, whether it be a rental or or maybe someone with control as well, that might be on the market that would be a good fit for the Jays?
3: So as far as rentals, I think in terms of a right-handed bat that can play some outfield and can really hit left-handed pitching, the mess kind of opened the floodgates a little bit yesterday trading david robertson i think either of mark canna or tommy sam would fit i think canna uh a, a, a probably gonna cost a little bit more he's got a, a team option for a bit over 11 million dollars next year fam's a rental both of those guys three of above average production at the plate especially success against lefties particularly in the case of fam so i think either one of those guys Uh, would work. I think uh, kind of off the beaten path for a reliever with control, Uh, Carlos Hernandez with the Royals has just totally reinvented himself this year. He struggled a lot last year. His fastball has been really good. He's got a good uh, slider, mixes in a splitter, good strikeout numbers, uh, good walk numbers, doesn't get hit particularly hard. And we've seen them in the past make those types of deals. You think back with the Marlins last year, they got Pop and Bass who were both under team control um, beyond 2022 at the time. So I, I think that there, there's no shortage uh, of options. I, I would be surprised if it's, you know, a really seismic deadline. Uh, that might be disappointing to some people as they're listening. But I, I think the only way it's going to be seismic is, or, or, or really noticeable and impactful is if it ends up something that we didn't see coming and we're all just kind of, left wondering, wow, where did that come from? That's completely out of left field.
0: Yeah, it feels like they'll never replicate the 2015 deadline. (laughs) That was just like something uh, so wild and uh, fun, but uh, definitely doesn't seem to be Ross Atkins' style. It's kind of strange that Atkins sort of laid his cards out on the table, but I guess – we all know what the Jays are looking for, right? They're looking for an extra bat. And they're looking for a reliever. There's not much, especially with Ryu coming back off the IL, it, it seems like there's, there's not much of an appetite to do much else with this roster.
3: Yeah, the, the, the situation with the rotation is really interesting because you look at it and say, oh, well, there's six starting pitchers and there's only five spots. There's probably a pretty good chance that they're going to move uh, to a six-man rotation, at least through this stretch that they're about to start tonight where they have 17 games in 17 days. I don't think that you can really run a six-man rotation. I I want Gosman, uh, Barrios, and Bassett pitching as much as possible, and a six-man rotation kind of defeats the purpose of that. But I I understand, you know, like, Manoa's looked pretty good in two of the three starts and was really bad uh, in the other. Ryu has been good in AAA, but he hasn't pitched in over a year, and he's, you know, going to be, I think he's 36 years old, uh, already. It, it, I, I understand it might not be at the top of the list of priorities, but I, I still don't think it's a bad idea to look at starting pitching help because you're not too far away from being in a bad position. You know, if Manoa loses it uh, again and really struggles, and Ryu just isn't as impactful uh, as he was in the past, he's just not the same pitcher uh, at this age after a pretty serious injury. And then all of a sudden you're back in a position where you only feel as though, you can trust four starters because you know everyone says if you get to the playoffs you really only need three guys that you can trust but blue jays are in a dog dog fight to make the playoffs and you're gonna need depth and quality in the rotation every day to give you the best possible chance to win and i would leave no stone unturned to ensure that you have the deepest and most versatile roster you possibly can have uh, to ensure that you do in fact end up making the playoffs
2: so out of the out of the three Alec Manoa, Hunter Yu and and throw Yusei Kikuchi in there. If you had to move one to the bullpen for the rest of the season just to keep the five man rotation, is there one that maybe suits that a little bit better out of the three? I think if
3: you had to pick and you weren't looking at performance, there wasn't any context. I think in terms of pure stuff, Kikuchi is really the only one that I think can excel out of the bullpen. We saw it a little bit last year when he struggled in the rotation. And then towards the end of mid end of August, they moved him to the bullpen and he had some really good results. And he was just focusing on throwing his fastball and his slider and uh, came in and threw a bit harder and got a lot of swing and miss and, and, and did a good job. But I just don't think you can move him to the bullpen. He's got a 3.79 ERA. He's been one of the most consistent pitchers in, in the rotation this year. Um, he's going to really have to fall off with the other two performing well uh, before that's even really a conversation. And like, honestly, to me, Manoa is probably the one that I would feel as though is on the shakiest ground because uh, we saw how bad the results were when he was really not right this year. And although it's been better since he's come back up, there are still moments where you see the command evaporate and the inability to finish uh, opposing hitters off with two strikes he's definitely been crisper and his mechanics have been better and he's been pounding the zone a little bit more and controlling both sides of the plate but if I had to pick one who I think is got the the thinnest ice under their feet and is probably the most likely candidate to not finish the season in the rotation it would probably be Manila.
0: you know the thing about this this year's Jays team um and I know you and I have talked about this but they're, they're they're a grind to watch right um, and and mostly because everything they do just feels short of expectation and maybe that's My own fault for putting uh, bigger expectations on this team potentially, but like take these last six games, right? They go through Seattle, probably should have won that series. They go to LA, they probably should have swept the Dodgers. You know, you could easily look at that those six games and be like, yeah, they should have gone five and one, or they could have gone five and one. It was out there for them, and they weren't able to execute in moments. And that's sort of a, a small story of the Blue Jays' season. It just. Seems like they've just left so much meat on the bone everywhere they go.
3: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, John Schneider has said a bunch of times that uh, the key to being a really good team is that uh, every aspect of, of the roster kind of uh, feeds off of one another and then everything is just flowing off of one another and into one another and that's when you're really going on a sustained run where you're winning a lot of games and that just really hasn't happened outside of a few moments here or there it's like, kind of like whack-a-mole where the starting pitching is good and the bullpen is good but the offense uh, isn't pulling their weight and then you saw a couple of times on the road trip I think there were two games where they scored seven or more runs that they lost because the bullpen Altered and blinked a little bit, and that's somewhat to be expected when the bullpen has been tasked so many times with three or four innings of really Im- important, stressful outs, taxing outs over the course of a long season. There, there's bound to be a period of time where the bullpen struggles a little bit. You look at Eric Swanson; I, I think that um, you know he struggled a little bit. You have to wonder how much is just uh, getting up to a career high or close to a career high. In, in workload, how much is that factoring in? Like, it, it just hasn't clicked on all cylinders yet, and we're still waiting for that to potentially happen. The offense has been better of late. That's very encouraging. But, you know, in order for them, I think, to catch the Orioles and, and put more pressure on the Rays, they're going to need to have a month or, or at least a couple of weeks where every aspect of their game is clicking and they get some of these easier wins where they can take some pressure off of some of the players and particularly pitchers who have been so dependable and and really bailed them out in large stretches of this season.
0: Josh, appreciate your time. Thanks for this today. Thanks, Ellis. Uh There's Josh Goldberg, DFA Pod and The Score MLB joining us. Blue Jays and Angels. Tonight you'll hear that game on Sportsnet 650 wonder if uh, Otani's going to play after uh, the wild game he had against – or games, I should say, against Detroit yesterday, pitching, pitching a complete game shutout first of his career and then hitting two homers in the second half of a doubleheader.
2: And then sure cramping
0: the, up. Yeah, and then cramping up. Uh, I'm sure the Blue Jays wouldn't mind if Otani sits. Yeah.
2: But I feel like – not, not that he's going to play every game, but I feel like he has to play every game he can for the rest of the season.
0: I mean, he could DH, right? How hard yeah. can it be to DH? I'm sure. Well,
2: <laughs> yeah, he'll DH. It'll be fine. Just
0: take your four plate appearances and be done with it, right?
2: Yeah. I yeah. could DH.
0: Super easy. Uh, uh, from what I've heard about your baseball game, you could probably not be a good DH.
2: I would be a bad DH. I would <laughs> I, my value is in the field. That's correct.
0: <laughs> you are Dalton Varsho, as I've come to know. Yes. It's, put me uh, in. Put me in the
2: seventh inning. Hopefully I don't get in a bat, and I'll I'll just go out and make a few catches.
0: So a bit of a scary moment uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow had to be carted off the field with a suspected calf injury yesterday. Calf strain. Calf strain. To be
2: specific is what they said.
0: Uh, So calf strain. And look, it shouldn't be all that bad, but maybe it keeps him out for – a good chunk of training camp, and the AFC is just such a home of juggernauts. Yeah, it's like
2: it's the insane. Hardest, hardest thing ever.
0: Yeah, the AFC is about as hard a conference as we've ever seen in the history of the National Football League with the way that it's setting up this year. And even you just look at the AFC North, you've got the Bengals probably as the favorite Lamar Jackson returning with the Baltimore Ravens. Probably going to be a better team this year than they were last. They usually are. Deshaun Watson, full go in Cleveland this year, despite what you may think. That should lead to them winning some football games. They definitely have the talent to do so. At least more than seven, which is what they got last year. And then there's the Steelers, who, you know, under Mike Tomlin, they're pretty much a guarantee to go 500 or close to it. So... I, I, any sort of red flag on the Bengals might be a big red flag considering how difficult their division and how difficult the AFC could be.
2: It, it could be. I still think as long as Burrow is back in time, they'll be okay. Yeah. Because I, I just view them as I, – I have more question marks around the Ravens and, and around most of the other teams in the AFC than I do about the Bengals.
0: Well, it's like, the Chiefs, Bengals, and Bills. Yeah, as sort of the triangular favorite in the AFC.
2: Exactly, and so realistically, if Burrow missed a bunch of time, then yeah, I'd, I'd e- even a few weeks, I'd, I'd have some concerns. I'd still think they'd be a wild card team, but I don't think they would win the division necessarily. But as long as Burrow was back in time, like I'm, I'm not worried. And right. it's a calf strain. If I say it like that, it doesn't sound. Yes, that bad. Uh, calf it's strength, calf strain.
0: They can linger, man. They I they know. can they can linger. They can be not very fun. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on as training camp goes on. It's not a huge thing, but you know, Joe Burrow as a potential MVP is uh, a massive part of what the Bengals are doing, and they more so than I would say. Like there was a t- like last year when Russell Wilson went into the AFC West and Derek Carr was there seemed like the Raiders were gonna have at least a, a good enough team to, to make some level of noise. then there was the Chargers everybody's always in love with the LA Chargers and of course the Chiefs everybody's like wow AFC West best division in in the game and it didn't really turn out that way especially no. with the way that the Broncos played last year but now I feel like that division, is more so the AFC North and you could even make the case the AFC East whereas the Chiefs they might have it the easiest of the bunch of the favorites in the AFC with how the divisions are now playing out because AFC North Bengals you can make Ravens
2: real good arguments for those two
0: Browns and then, of course, in the AFC East, the Jets have gotten all kinds of hype. Still, gonna still finish have the last. Dolphins. You still think the Jets are going to finish last in the East? No, they're not. Yes, they are. How would you say that?
2: Well, Patriots. I just I trust the coaching more. I like Robert Sala, yeah. but uh, I trust Belichick more. I think the Dolphins are a better team, and okay. I think the Bills are obviously a clear better team.
0: Well, the Jets might get Dalvin Cook now too.
2: Well, he'll be injured a few games. <laughs> That's how it goes. Well, it's, I know it's that probably goes. one of
0: those like one of those moves you're like uh, if you've done your dynasty draft or whatever and you had big hopes for Brees Hall, Brees Hall you're like, "Oh no, this yeah. is big bad things if Dalvin Cook is going to the New York Jets." Like Dalvin Cook's probably a guy that benefits from you know getting more of the 10 to 12 carry sort of situation than you know, being the bell cow back like he was for your Vikings for a lot of years. Yeah. It, in terms of fantasy. It's, it's a better like, real football move than it is yes. a uh, for your fantasy team. For your That's fantasy. This
2: is why you don't do drafts in, in July, by the way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, it, it's also good insurance for the Jets. It's it's just always good to have multiple elite players at a certain position, yep. especially when that position is running back. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if Dalvin Cook really changes much about the Jets. And, and for me, like I, I'm, I'm going, I'm falling on this sword. Yes. That I don't really believe in Aaron Rodgers anymore, and I think the Jets are going to be right around where they were last year.
0: Uh, I did this with Tom Brady last year, and I feel pretty good about it. Exactly.
2: This is this is my. If you're Tom doing Brady it with team. Aaron Rodgers.
0: Yeah. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is done yet. Well. We'll see how it plays out. Maybe I'm buying too much of the hype. Josh is not buying enough of the hype on Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. We'll see how it plays out as the season goes on. But certainly something to keep an eye on with Joe Burrow's injury yesterday for the Bengals. Stan Riccio and Josh Elliott-Wolf, when we come back, we'll get into the most hyped prospects in NHL history. ESPN did a uh, tournament of sorts. Who is the most hyped prospect in NHL history? 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can answer that. And we'll also do it more from a local perspective. Who is the most hyped prospect in Canucks history? Plus, we'll play Puck Doku before 1230 as well. We'll get to that. Dan Riccio, Josh Elliott, Wolf. Being too busy feels like the new norm. You're probably in the middle of something right now. But taking time for yourself just got a little bit easier with Audible. Perfect for listening on the go so your me time is open wide. Explore premium storytelling with Canadian voices across multiple genres with over 800,000 titles, including best-selling audiobooks, podcasts, and exclusive originals. Join and listen free for 30 days. Visit audible.ca. There's more to imagine with Audible. You are listening to Sportsnet 650.